Yo, what's up? This is uh, Ed Gallo. I'm joined by Shriram Morelli Dorn. It's the Fight Sites MMA podcast. Uh, say hello, Shriram. Hey, everyone. Um, fun week today. I mean, the whole thing's kind of felt like a loading screen, but <laughs> you know, that's just kind of where we are. Yeah, if you haven't noticed, Shriram's got his new mic, the second week with the new mic. He's picking yeah. up a lot of sounds. Yeah, it's. Uh, I figured out how to mute the website, so that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it. Work in progress. But uh, before we jump into today's topics, which are recapping the cards from last week, Brunson versus Holland, and getting into UFC 260, which is headlined by the heavyweight title fight between Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou, uh, I just want to remind you that the fight site is entirely funded, almost entirely funded by Patreon. So how does that work? So we have our Patreon account where you can make donations to the site, monthly subscription to the site, and in return, the base reward for $3 and, and above is all of the exclusive content that we have on there. Uh, there's a lot of commentaries, uh, most mostly commentaries, honestly. It's uh, us watching combat sports and delivering analytical commentary over them, sometimes uh, more, more breakdown-oriented, like going back and forth and looking at things, sometimes just more commentary, but... Either way, it's a lot of high-level analysis, uh, hours and hours and hours of it. Uh, it's also the home of my resume review series, which is also a commentary breakdown series. And this week, I did commentary on Stipe Miocic, uh, three of his fights, which I, I'm glad I did that because now I can actually talk about the Ngannou fight and, and know what happened because I probably wasn't going to rewatch it otherwise, uh, so that's convenient. Uh, but yeah, check that out. That's on our podcasting app as well, but you'd just be listening along, and I do go back and forth and break down some things, so following along with the video would be helpful. But yeah, after that $3 tier, there's the $5 tier, which gets you into our Discord server, which is growing and very fun, and there's a lot of cool people on there that you might not even interact with on Twitter, so you're missing out on a lot of friends by not being in there. And uh, above that are the content request tiers, so $10 is uh, for podcast topics, We'll dedicate large segments of podcasts or individual standalone podcasts to your topics, and uh, we'll make sure to answer them. And then above that, you could request uh, like a breakdown video, a commentary, an article. Um, there's, there's a lot you can do. So check us out on Patreon. That's that's how the site survives. That's how why we're doing it. That's <laughs> the only reason we can do it. Um, so definitely help us grow and to incentivize you a little bit more. We have a fundraising goal that when we hit 200 patrons, we are going to release a special article series on the top UFC fights of all time. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but you'll get an article on each fight and a commentary video uh, on each fight. And the author of each article will be on the commentary um, with somebody else. So looking forward to that. We're about 15 patrons away, which is great. Uh, we started about 40 something patrons away. So it's definitely been, the push has been working. So keep going. I know that, you know, several hundred of you listen to this and we only have, you know, less than 200 patrons. So if you can spare $3 to help us meet this goal, that would be excellent. Uh, one more thing to check out on Patreon if you're a wrestling fan or you're interested in wrestling, uh, college wrestling, I did commentary for all 10 NCAA finals uh, from the past weekend. And a lot to say about that, so definitely check that out if you're interested. Sharam, did I miss anything? Uh, I don't believe so. I mean, the fundraising goal is the big thing that we have. Pretty much the uh, the basic is $3 to see everything, and anything more is to like ask your own stuff. So if you listen to the podcast and you appreciate the questions that we you know answer and the detail that we go into, which tends to be honestly a little bit more than uh, is recommended for $10, we tend to give you your money's worth on those then uh, consider shooting us $10 and we'll handle it pretty well. That's right. So that's enough for advertising to you. Very uh, clean cut, organic ads there. But <laughs> let, let's jump into to MMA talk. Let's talk about fights and, and things of that nature. So Shriram, last weekend was the Brunson versus Holland card. I missed some of it because NCAAs were going on at the same time. But I definitely caught the last few fights. So uh, let, let's start with the main event. What, what were you thinking going into the fight? And I know you record a commentary for that fight also on Patreon. Uh, so you, you lead the way. How did, how did that all shake out for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think most of the improvements that we thought Brunson made on the feet were kind of smoke and mirrors. 
Um, Edmund Trebassian made him look better on the feet than he was, kind of. And Kevin Holland isn't the deepest striker, but he was, you know, willing and uh, came forward and pressured a little bit. Brunson conceded the back foot as soon as that happened, which makes sense because Brunson was always more of like a burst fighter than a pressure fighter. But Holland was able to land on him pretty much at will. The issue was, of course, the wrestling. Um, we saw, we've seen before that Brunson's a really physical, uh, really effective wrestler with a solid top game. The top game didn't really work here because uh, Holland sold out on just being able to hold Brunson like close to him. He did like the body triangle from guard, which is a really surefire sign that you're not planning to do anything from there um, for the time being, and he just held it for like the entire fight. So, uh, not a ton to say. It was a very redundant fight, and I think my commentary reflected that because it was like pretty much the limpest effort that anyone could have put forward uh, for a fight. <laughs> like, it was the limpest effort that I've put forward because of the fight, I think. Um, it's just, it was a really bad fight that went about as much as it could have expected to go. Uh, in terms of quality, like, the best case was that Brunson would just come out and knock him out, and I think Brunson got, like, the early knockdown, but past that, it was just uh, really, it was silly in a bad way. It was not silly in a fun way. Yeah, um, this fight invoked a lot of emotions for me, and maybe I'll jump right into that, maybe I won't, but, you know, just on the technical side of things, Brunson was horrified by... <laughs> everything that Holland was doing on the feet. He looks so <laughs> uncomfortable. He's looked a lot better on the feet in the past. Uh, but I think he realized that this was the kind of fight where just not getting knocked out in the feet was good enough. Uh, he just needed to get into some grappling situations and he'd be fine. Uh, but yeah, he looked horrible on the back foot and, and Holland looked a little gun-shy, to be honest with you. Uh, so, so that was already, like, it kind of puts a damper on the fight. Like, we didn't think this was a high-level fight inherently, but I think they both performed pretty poorly. Um, so that's not great. <laughs> but I, I definitely, I don't know. Like, the things that Brunson did well were a lot of Holland just having no idea how to defend, for example. Uh, Brunson could, you know, duck his head into whatever situation he wanted and just reach and grab onto the clinch. And a lot of the times he got it. And uh, he, he was holding these over-under positions or holding these underhook positions. And Holland, I don't know what he was thinking. Um, he didn't get his hips back. He didn't pummel. He didn't really do much of anything except, like, smack the ears a little bit. And there's, there's a situation later on in the fight where Brunson had the body, that the over-under, and... Uh, he, his Hollins wasn't separating his grip at all. He wasn't making it hard for him to get behind his back. He was standing totally straight. And Brunson grabbed the body lock, and I was waiting for him to grab the body lock. I'm like, it's right there. You should body lock him. Uh, and he, he took a while to do it. He was kind of holding him in the clinch, and then he did it, and then he let go. And I was like, what is happening? And it just turned out that it was just really <laughs> easy to hold Holland in the clinch, so he just didn't even feel the urgency to you know go after the body lock like that and, and really chase it. So... That was annoying, um, but from those body lock situations, he was doing a really good job, Brunson was, of hitting this, uh, you can call it a Polish throw, but I think it's just kind of like a sag outside trip. Um, big step around on the right side, uh, then pivot to pull them across your knee block on that side, uh, which is a nice technique uh, if you can get yourself into those clinch positions. But if the other person is not defending or getting their hips back at all, it's very easy to pull that off. So it kind of <laughs> reminded me of, you know, this is a bad comparison for... Davis and Figueredo, just the way he dealt with Brandon Moreno in the body lock, just did not respond at all. Just, you know, kind of tried to get over hooks, but didn't do anything with the hips or feet. Uh, Holland, this happened in, like, slow motion. It wasn't, like, immediately <laughs> catching the body lock and, and taking them down. It was like they are hanging out for a while before these things happened. Uh, there was a time where Brunson shot a double, and Holland just stood there, and, like, his one arm wasn't doing anything, and with his other hand, he, like, put his... He was, like, palming Brunson's forehead. And I was like, that's kind of an idea. And then Brunson just had got to take, like, 15, 20 seconds to finish this double. It was so ugly, man. And, yeah, then from bottom, he didn't he didn't do anything. He, he put up a body triangle, and he, like, struck a little bit from bottom. But Brunson was doing a good job getting getting his posture up. Yeah, it was the slaps again, too. Yeah, getting inside bicep ties, uh, elbowing off that, um, you know, post post ground and pound and stuff like that like he was doing a good job from from striking inside the guard which i think is kind of an old school move but i, I like it I, I think if you can strike freely from inside the guard why not um but yeah, it was dumb it was a really dumb fight and i'm 
what, what do you think about, first of all, what are people saying about the performance? How are they evaluating Holland based on this? Uh, I mean, obviously the stock's gone down because he looked entirely like the meme fighter we thought he was, like after the Jackery fight in this fight. I think there's like a, a weird amount of people saying that the talking mattered in this one. I don't really think that's true. Like, there are a lot of... Like, he talks in pretty much every one of his fights, right? Like, even his better striking performances, he's chatting the whole time. Which is, like... I can't really say he's not paying attention, because those are fights that he was winning, and he hasn't really proven to be better. It's not like he's, like, you know, gonna go Ultra Instinct or something, because uh, we just haven't seen that. So, it's, there's no such thing as, like, a focused Kevin Holland. This was just a fight where... If there was any sort of laziness to him, it wasn't in the talking, but it was in the preparation and how he handled yeah. fighting in general. So it's unfortunate to see. Like he's a, he's a genuinely athletic fighter. He's got some decent tricks. It's just not something that he's bothered to become better at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, in the podcast last week, we said that Kevin Holland's a meme fighter, not just because he does funny things, but because his game is only built to do funny things. He doesn't really have it in him to fight a different way. And I think that was kind of the point I was trying to make last week. I don't know if I made it well, but that's definitely what I was looking I to say. Yeah, is that it's, it wasn't because he was like, oh, I'm going to do a funny thing. It's like, this is all he knows. His game is not optimized for MMA, so if he's going to win fights, it's going to be in ways that are kind of low percentage seeming and silly. Um, uh, but on that note, I, I don't know how how he thought he was going to win this fight. Like he didn't <laughs> he didn't have any defensive wrestling to speak of and on the ground he didn't really have a strategy for getting up. He didn't even try anything. Um I think he got up like once uh, just cuz Holland gave him a lot of space, but I don't know. He looked he looked yeah, wholly he got unprepared. Yeah, got up in the fifth, but then Brunson I think just got up and walked away from him at that point. Yeah. And I mean, then he did take Brunson down, but that just adds oh, yeah. the point that when he took Brunson down, he stayed he stayed on him he's like are you gonna win the fight from top position he i think he eventually let him up yeah it was just a, he got like the inside trip out of the uh, i think it was the same over under yeah. i'm not sure but it was really weird because like i feel like at that point brunson had just stopped really caring about anything holland could do which isn't necessarily fair because holland was doing some damage on the feet but like holland never really sold out to win the fight which is kind of what you want to see from a fighter who's losing like if you look at, for instance, like a fighter like I fight like Calvin Cater versus Zabit, right? Like that's a classic example. Cater was down two, and well, maybe the second was like contentious, but he was down two, and you saw him just go absolutely mad for the third round. That's the kind of thing you want to see, even when there are a lot of criticisms of the performance, right? Like you can see someone trying to win a fight that way. Or with Kevin Holland, you could see him like you know getting baited by that rear leg kicking and uh, giving Bronson easy entries. But even when he could like pressure and throw, he was pressuring without like the end of the fight, right? Bronson was on the feet, they were on the feet, and Holland just kind of mm, uh, mimes jogging away, like he like won the fight. It was such dumb shit, and it was the worst. <laughs> yeah, um, I think part of it was that he he did try to sell out when he did hit Brunson. He's like, okay, here we go. He did try to flurry. They weren't the best flurries, but he tried then. Um, but that was really like a, you know, within the first couple rounds that happened, it didn't really happen again. And I think part of it was just that he, he got tired. And he's gotten tired in many of his UFC fights, and this was something we were pointing out beforehand. Like, this is... He's not like he got wrestled by Darren Stewart, and he didn't look very good in that fight, and he got worn down. And it's just, you know, he's he's. If if you want a fighter to be fun, that's okay. But the fun thing about Kevin Holland is that like, he he speaks to you to trick you when you're you know in his guard, and like, he uh, does flying on Laplatas, and like this the risk taking, is the fun part I believe. But, you know, what isn't fun is not being equipped at all to win fights in normal ways whatsoever. That's not fun to me, and it speaks to a lack of preparation. It speaks to not taking it seriously, and I can't prove that, but I can prove that he wasn't taking that winning that fight seriously. Uh, I don't think anyone could say he was really trying to win that fight, um, and if he did try, I don't think it would have gone very well. So it, it, really, it really bothered me, man. It really bothers me when people want MMA to just be funny because I get that it is funny it is funny it's a circus sport as we've said uh it's, it's very very silly a lot of the time but I don't want like someone to get knocked out because it would be funny 
and I don't want the guy who doesn't necessarily work as hard or isn't trying to be good to get more opportunities or go further in a division than someone who's clearly trying their damnedest to be a good fighter and just may, may, isn't really a natural at it like Derek Brunson. Um, I, didn't, I didn't want Kevin Holland to win this fight at all. And it, but it, it, even still, it annoyed me that he wasn't trying to. He didn't seem to care. I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, he, he wasn't competing. He doesn't seem like a competitor. So it just... <laughs> I, I I guess I don't have the right to be that angry about it because is MMA a sport? Hard to say. <laughs> but it really got on my nerves, man, especially because yeah. it's, it was right after NCAAs ended, and that's the uh, you know the, the pinnacle of people trying really, really hard and being pure competitors and, and try, training you know their absolute best, even too much, you know, overtraining to get to this point, and, like wrestling through injuries and all, the, all this stuff. And then I watched this fight, and it's this guy goofing around, like just watching the fight slip away not really caring i'm like it really gets my nerves yeah i mean it's it's even like one thing if the guy's super athletic and doesn't really well it's like there are guys who are really athletic who don't have to try as hard as the unathletic ones which is one thing if their game works because like you know there are guys like a tyron woodley for instance you can't really at least a couple years ago right you couldn't really blame him for not developing a jab or like a left hook because what he did kind of worked in a way that didn't make sense to us but probably made sense to him and it won him fights at a high level so you could be like okay he's kind of lazy in the way that he fights but he's trying to win these fights consistently before he got really shot or Kevin Holland is just he doesn't even have that kind of real skill set in any phase and it doesn't really look like he's winning on initiative either so all his previous fights have just been won on like well either it was either like complete robberies like um the the Mearshart fight or it was this kind of thing where when every second he's not having success actively with something that he'd never try again he just looked completely useless and awful so like what's his best performance even i can't think of a performance where he had like a really comprehensive win it might have been like the Joaquin buckley fight but even that i i had issues with that performance too yeah like, even there, Buckley was clearly trying harder to, like, get inside and explode into body shots and stuff. Holland just kind of won with two knockdowns. So it's tough to say. Like, what, um, the one where he won with a knee to the body in the first round, in the first minute that was? Like, I can't think of a comprehensive Kevin Holland performance, and that's kind of what's always been troubling to me engaging prospects, is that if they're constantly winning in, like, really quick ways that doesn't that don't make sense, you can't really consider them particularly good and most uh, the fact that Holland was a favorite here he never should have been because it feels like there was a big disconnect between like his public persona and the way that people not even his public persona, but like the way people treated him in public and yeah. the respect that he was getting in this fight if that makes sense like no one would have said oh he knocked out Jack Ray from the bottom he's going to beat Brunson but that's how the, that's how it was lined so it's just there's a bunch of dumb stuff with Kevin Holland that's just never really going to take him anywhere, and we knew that going in, but this was just even more confirmation. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad Brunson won because I I would rather he fight, you know, the top ranked middleweights, even though I don't think he gets much further than this. Um, he wants to fight Paulo yeah. Costa, and I think that is going to go poorly. Yeah, I think that's a bad fight for him. A southpaw who concedes space that easily. It's um, it's nasty. Yeah, I mean, even if he doesn't fight, Costa. I mean, it's a really rough, <laughs> rough stretch there for him, because uh, ranked above him is Cannoneer, which, I mean, I think uh, I think Cannoneer probably knocks him out. Well, I mean, right? It, it's tough because like Cannoneer's super wrestleable, and. A lot of the stuff that he does to not get wrestled is based on athleticism. The Brunson mm-hmm. can probably Hermanson match. took him down, right? Yeah, Hermanson took him down like twice, and then after that, Hermanson just like took these really panicked shots that didn't really work for him. Brunson could probably beat Hermanson because Hermanson is like just as neurotic right. as him against southpaws, especially. But also, I think Hermanson's ranked below him now, so that's not a thing. Um, yeah, he's probably not gonna fight down. And Hermes yeah. is coming off a loss, so it might be Cannoneer. He wants Costa. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Darren Till maybe. I don't. Till would be tough for him actually. Yeah, I think closing the distance on Till would be awkward for him. Yeah, that's the thing. And Hermanson's a weird one because he looked pretty one note on the feet against Vittori, and he's obviously looked very panicked and freaked out in the feet, but against other people, 
But against Jokere, he actually looked like a decently put together boxer. Wasn't that wasn't that weird? <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it's like even when Jokere came forward and like pressured him really hard with like body work, the way I'd expect someone to like really fluster Jack Manson, it didn't really work. Which like it kind of substantiates the idea that like it's just southpaws that make him really really mad. Because um, like Vittori was getting him with the same three things over and over. It was like either just throw the left hand or control the lead hand, wait for the right hand, and then throw the left hand. That was like 75% of the exchanges that Vittori won. So, I don't I don't know. Like, Hermanson's a weird guy, and I think, like, Bronson could probably also just top control him, because we saw against uh, Tyler's Lighties, I think. Uh, he got wrestled pretty easily there. But, and I don't think Hermanson's like the real power threat to be able to put Brunson away the way guys have before. It's just a... It's, that's that's a really weird fight between two guys who might be better than their like, um, their constitution would suggest. Mhm. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I I don't like expect him to be a title contender necessarily, but middleweight is not the hardest division to get to that point too. It's just it gets really tough at the top, at yeah. the very top. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but yeah, that that fight was annoying. It really rubbed me the wrong way. But I'm glad Brunson won. Um. Max Griffin got a good win against uh, Song Kinan. That that guy was uh, kind of decent, wasn't he? Uh, I don't. I I mostly know things about the other song. Song Kinan. I know he faced someone important a while ago. He's but... won uh, all all his UFC wins are, are knockouts. He's got four of them. He lost to uh before this he lost to Alex Morono, who is kind of like oh, yeah. pe- people you he's know like oh he's he's so bad but he's actually kind of functional yeah. yeah. Uh, and before the UFC he got knocked out by Brad Riddell, which is okay. Yeah. Riddell is the one I remember, but isn't he, like, a weight class above him? That's, that makes it a little bit concerning. Yeah, um, he is a weight class above Riddell, but Riddell's uh, super, super wide. <laughs> yeah. He also got knocked out by Osanya, apparently, which is something. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he knocked out Callan Potter uh, the last time out, like, a year ago, but Callan Potter is also kind of like an Askren type, uh, where he's completely incompetent at anything but grappling. He's like a leg lock Askren, so... I don't know. Uh, it was impressive from Griffin. I remember the knockout being kind of cool where he uh, closed distance with a hook and blasted him with a straight. It's just tough to say a ton. And Max Griffin has had, like... Uh, the thing about Max Griffin is that, like, his one really good performance against Mike Perry is pretty much losing value every single day. Yeah. So, it's uh, it's wild. Mike Perry, though, uh, he, he's, he shows up sometimes. Yeah. He's had some good fights. I don't think it's, like, a flat evaluation of Mike Perry. I think he just had to go fight to fight with him. Uh, but like the uh, the Luke fight, he was he was good in that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, that's the thing, is that I think he went right from Luke to getting killed by Jeff Neal, so you're like, okay, uh, how good is this guy? But the thing with Max Griffin especially is that Mike Perry was like the um, the win in a 1-3 stretch, and after that he beat Salim Medaya, which is a nothing win, like the biggest nothing win uh, this side of Rice McKee. Thanks. So... It's tough. Like, it, it seems more and more like Mike Perry was like a um, an outlier for him, but it, w- it also wasn't like a quick knockout. Griffin pretty much just like beat the shit out of him on the outside. It was really impressive. So I don't know. Yep, interesting. Uh, but I'm I'm glad he won. Glad he's doing well. He seems like a cool guy. He called out Jeff Neal. Um, seems like That's a good fun. fight for Jeff Neal, right? <laughs> it should be. I mean, I can't really see a parallel. Um, but, you know, he, he did lose to Tiago Alves. Oh, wait. I, I think I remember him. He, There's he, something weird with the he Alves He lost fight. to Tiago Alves, but yeah. I think that I think he got robbed. It's funny. Tiago yeah. Alves got robbed against um, Kinchenko, and then he robbed Max Griffin. <laughs> There's, and then Kinchenko got robbed by um, Zaleski Dos Santos. Uh-huh. So that. The, the robbery circle. Yeah. It, I don't know where that closes. puts it. <laughs> Uh, and I think a lot of people thought Zaleski got robbed against Salikov, right? So there's, it's, it always goes forward. I didn't see that one. But moving on, this was one of the worst fights I've ever seen. Uh, Montserrat Canejo versus Cheyenne Face. <laughs> uh, the story of the fight was headlock and scarfold. <laughs> and uh, apparently before the fight, uh, Cheyenne Bays had a dual press conference with her husband, JP Bays, who's also in the UFC, I think. And isn't good yeah, either. Yeah, he was on this event. <laughs> uh, he, he got knocked out by Bruno Bulldog, uh, Cejudo's training partner. Um, I, I call him Bruno Bulldog because that is his 
you know, it, in, in Brazil, they refer to people by their nickname a lot as their last name. And I got in the habit because he was on the Ultimate Fighter Brazil, which obviously I watched. Uh, and the, I just, he was cool on that. So Bruno Bulldog winning fights in the UFC now uh, after two tries. He fought uh, David Dvorak and, and Tahira Ulanbekov before this. So uh, good on him getting the knockout. I didn't see the fight, but I'm glad he won. Um, but yeah, th- this fight was terrible. Yeah, and he cross countered him. That was cool. Yeah. Before this fight, uh, Cheyenne Bays said that uh, she 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 watched the tape. She knows she only had a headlock, uh, only had held that uh, scarf hold position, and she had trained for it and she was ready. I'm like, okay, and then uh, <laughs> she she did it, and I, I didn't really see much of a reaction from Bays. She was just like holding the the rear standing position, just holding the rear waist lock, which is I mean. It makes it hard for someone to headlock you, but if they, if you, if you go over, if you hit the mat and they still have your head, then you're you're headlocked. <laughs> if you don't get yeah, like, she, hooks in or anything. Yeah, she pretty much just tried to keep her from getting the arm with that like uh, arm lock thing that she does. Yeah. Which like I guess it's fine, but it's also kind of a hull and body triangle esque move because you're not going to do anything from there. Um, I don't know. It was. There was really nothing to watch. The, the most interesting thing happened after the fight, where Conejo may have spit on Bayes after. Oh. But after that performance, like you kind of have no license to do anything to anyone. So, I don't. Yeah, it was dumb. Uh, I talked about it on the on the wrestling podcast that you need to you need to do something. <laughs> you need to do something different. <laughs> and like, uh, she she had an opportunity to fight. This is another one where someone's like posturing and acting like that they wanted to win more than they were, or that they're like tougher than they are. But like she, at the end, not at the the very end, but further into the third round, uh, base got a reversal and had like rear standing. She had turtle turtle or something like that. She had a position that she usually could have pushed off and stood up from from top to strike because wasn't she like destroying her on the feet? Yeah, pretty much. There was this like it was. Even every time she wasn't in Scarfold, I think, like, she drove easily to mount at the end of the first or the second or something. It wasn't even like Kaneho was a great grappler in general. It was just she had, like, this one position that she could get to from, like, three different places. So she she did that, and Baez just didn't have a real answer. But every time it wasn't there, she was winning really easily. She just didn't really have that much urgency. She, she probably could have just ran at Kaneho and, like, beat her up, but did not do that. Yeah. Uh, so that was dumb. I definitely, definitely think she left left some uh, some stuff on the table there. Uh, she, she didn't play all her cards, and honestly, her coaches are should be blamed as well because they had them mic'd up. And when she was in Scarfold, they were giving her instructions, and the instructions were scramble, scramble, <laughs> get out of there. And then like when she uh, she hit down, she actually got to her knees at one point, and they said good, and they started to give her instructions about what to do. And then she just got popped back over. I'm like, you didn't prepare for this. She doesn't know what to do in that position. Like, how, what, how is that possible? So that was annoying. Uh, but a lot of people are simping uh, Montserrat Añejo because she, uh, she's kind of cute and she has a lot of tattoos. And um, Oh, by the way, seven-time Mexican wrestling champion isn't, isn't anything. It's like uh, <laughs> world champion in that white belt in jiu-jitsu. It's like that Sweden uh, thing that people bring up for Kamsat Shumayev. It might have at least, uh, he's you know, at it, but... he's from Chechnya, so you have to assume yeah. <laughs> a certain level of wrestling. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's actually less significant than Shamayo's uh, credentials. So <laughs> that's uh, that was something. Uh, talk to me about Adrian Yanez. He's good, right? Yeah, that I think he was the only one who came out of this looking better than he uh, did when he went in, um, at least of the ones that we've talked about so far. Um I like him a lot. I think we've seen him against... Uh, so the thing going in was he was like a mini Masvidal, apparently. I don't really see it a ton with like his game, necessarily. But um, the fight that he had before this, he knocked the dude out with like a lead leg head kick uh, when he was circling off. And we saw in this fight, it's actually like a genuine part of his game. Uh, Gustavo Lopez isn't really much on the feet, uh, but Yanez was able to cut him off with that lead leg head kick, use it to like enter it on punches a couple times, which was nice. Um, and... A lot of what he does is on the counter against orthodox fighters. He cross-countered uh, Lopez beautifully a lot. Uh, he was able to build off that cross-counter several times. And uh, I think at the end... So one of the things that I think troubled him was when Lopez stopped giving him things, uh, where Yanez could just like kind of sit on the outside and win by existing because he was winning the rest of the fight. 
Uh, another thing was that when Lopez was southpaw, the lead leg head kick isn't as much of a factor because he could, you know, it hits the arms or something. So that's something to watch for against like a solid southpaw on the outside. Yanez might struggle, but against for like for most of this fight, it was pretty much a complete slaughter. Uh, Yanez is a really sharp puncher. He's got decently fast hands, and I like uh, I like the kicking game. There aren't many fighters with like a real process behind their kicks, even if Yanez has only really shown one with like real promise. So. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in watching him. I think Bantamweight's getting stronger by the minute, and uh, this is something to, to keep an eye on. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it really does seem like he resembles the lightweight version of Masvidal. Um, like, Strike Force Masvidal is very, it's very <laughs> similar. Um, if that's, if it, he's as good, even younger, so that's nice. And uh, yeah. we have insider information from Trayvon that uh, Yanez is actually a grappler. So, oh, yeah. that's interesting. Watch out. Watch out for that. Um, I'm not going to... Do you have anything to say? Ty Tuivas had knocked out... Uh, Harry Hunsucker. Hunsucker. <laughs> Harry Hunsucker. I just... It's I need to bring that name up again. Yeah. Just... Listen, like, if you're... Is it, like, a, a chicken or the egg thing, like, about being... Like, having a silly name and being a heavyweight? Or, you know what I mean? Like, uh, oh. there's a heavyweight in uh, the NCAA who graduated last year, I think. Um, his name is Ian Butterbrot. He is actually not fat. He he's a heavyweight, but he's actually pretty well built. But just uh, people people be having funny names when they're when, and they end up being built really big. I don't I really mean, understand it. When you have a funny name, your options are to be a heavyweight or to be a wrestler. And given everything I've seen of Harry Hunsucker, which isn't that much, I don't really know if he could be a wrestler. No. So uh, he is. He does indeed Harry Hunsuck. Well, I hope they give him another chance because he did take that short notice and he got knocked out in under a minute. So you know you gotta gotta give him at least one more try. Because Tuivasa is actually pretty good at knocking <laughs> people out at heavyweight. Uh, undercard. Did you watch any of these? Because I I was watching wrestling. Uh yeah, I watched. Okay, well pretty much nothing happened for most of them. Uh, on Renault, I think I skipped that one. Dawson Santos was kind of interesting, I remember. Um, Santos was like, he had the old man issue. Where I think Santos won the first two rounds, uh, but the second round was like really close. Santos looked sharp on the feet in the first like two minutes of the fight. Uh, he was like countering Dawson up, hitting these, uh, the low kicks. But also Dawson just kind of uh, won by being super durable, kept trying to wrestle him. It didn't really work for the first two rounds. The third round, he got the. I think he got a big lift from rear standing. Uh, ended up on top and just hung out there for most of the most of the round. It was like it was one of those where you're like, maybe this guy could show a little bit of urgency, or he's gonna get, um, he's gonna lose the fight even if he looked like the quote unquote better fighter with more promise. And then at the end of the fight, he just started hammer fisting him when um, Santos went for a leg lock to get some space. So Dawson just smashed his head in to give Santos his first UFC loss. Uh, not a ton to say. I don't think Dawson's all that. But, you know, uh, it's a win worth having. Uh, Giles Delize, um, I don't... I, I remember watching this fight. I don't remember a thing happening. Um, I remember thinking Delize isn't as good as people thought he was. But also, it's like it's middleweight, so pretty much no one is. Uh, Montel Jackson knocked out Jesse Strader really quickly. Um, it was like, I think he dropped him with a right hand and then ended up chasing him backwards with the, a left hook. Uh, at the end, and Strader was like, he was pretty out of his depth athletically, so not a ton to say. Uh, Bulldog Silva against, or Bruno Bulldog, I like calling him that, actually. Yeah, it's good. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like Hanado Moicano, where, like, Moicano is actually his nickname, but no one knows it. Also, so, in, uh, in Portuguese, they, they say Bruno Bulldoggy. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, it's like Ronaldo Jacare, same thing. But uh, he knocked out JP Baez. I, most of the fight wasn't super remarkable, but... Um, Bruno Bulldog did land the cross counter a couple times, uh, knocked him out with like two straight, so like dropped him with one, and then he got up and cross countered him again. Honestly, this was like a, a pretty unremarkable event overall. It just ended up really, uh, it, it dragged. It was not very good. Uh, if the main event delivered, I think we'd remember it better. But also Gillespie Riddell getting canceled was a huge blow. Bruno Bulldog is the Artem Lobov to Henry Cejudo's Conor McGregor. <laughs> Did that make sense? Did I do that right? Yeah, that made sense. It's I think the I same relationship. <laughs> yeah, I generally default to uh, he is some. It's like Volante Weidman. This might be even more demeaning. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was that card. We have a pay per view coming up, and it's pretty thin until the top three fights, in my opinion. So I guess that's where we'll be yeah. focusing 
um, heavyweight title fight versus uh, Steve Miocic versus Francis Ngannou, and we are doing a panel, a roundtable for this to break this down in much more depth, uh, considerably more depth, and I think we'll also talk about the other two fights. Um, we're recording it the night of us recording this. I'm not really sure what the release schedule is going to be like. I think probably the panel first. So that's probably already out on the YouTube and uh, podcast platforms. So definitely check that out. But uh, yeah, heavyweight title fight. Let's talk about the first fight. Um, I just watched it, so I'm fresh fresh and ready nice. to go. Stipe versus Ngannou. Uh, basically, Ngannou... tried to be patient at first and then as soon as he started to like feel Stipe's jab or in kicking game he's like no you're not allowed (laughs) you're not allowed to work I'm going to bum rush you and uh, he threw that huge slappy left hook and Stipe got to his uh, single leg reactive entry uh, put him on his butt and it became pretty clear pretty quickly that he was going to be able to wrestle so that became a theme throughout the fight although it was hard to wrestle him at first but on the feet, it wasn't like Stipe was doomed. He was doing a really good drawing out the counters with his jab and hitting, like, pull counters and slip counters, and uh, the counter game looked really good. Um, but things that were bad was that because of his slip counteriness, every time Ngannou threw a jab, he could either predict Stipe ducking or slipping, and the, the, the one uppercut and the one right hook were really, really high percentage for Ngannou. He hit him very hard. Uh, a bunch of times with that, and Stipe was fine, which is ridiculous. Um, so silly. Silly chin. Ngannou has a silly chin, too. Um, but yeah, Stipe was basically able to work on him with those tools. Uh, once Ngannou got a little tired from swinging like a madman, uh, the reactive shots were much more high percentage, and when he got him down, Ngannou didn't have a great idea of what to do on bottom, and even on top of that, he was very, very tired. Uh, which made it even more difficult to get up. And uh, Stipe used like the forearm on the back of the head to put pressure on him. He also used the quarter Nelson uh, to reinforce that position. Um, my favorite thing that happened the whole fight was Stipe hit a reactive entry to a single head outside, ran it a little bit to line up and got his feet, then I uh, reshot the double and I uh, ran it through to side control. And it was really pretty, and I broke it down on the resume review video. Um, but yeah, basically it was a fight where Stipe was doing a good job drawing out his offense and countering him, got hit a little bit, but was ultimately able to wrestle and hold him down and uh, got a pretty dominant win there. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton to add. I think That's the right. issue... I covered it the, all. Yeah, you really did. I mean, I don't, mostly because I haven't watched the fight in a while. It wasn't super interesting past that first round uh, beyond, like, you know, Stipe doing cool things to a guy who isn't really capable of dealing with them whatsoever. Um, but... Yeah, I think Ngannou, a lot of Ngannou's struggle, I think, is that he's not super comfortable leading, despite, like, his counterpunching being reliant on guys throwing themselves out of position constantly. So, like, even if you look since the Stipe fight, um, you can see that, like, the best counters he landed on, like, JDS, or when JDS literally turned his back off throwing his right Uh, hand way too wide. The rainbow overhand. That was, like, the worst punch JDS has thrown in his career. And even that, like, JDS isn't the best at throwing punches necessarily, but even it was an outlier even for him. And uh, it, it took that for Ngannou to, like, get behind him and club him with two right hands. So it's not really something that Ngannou's good at. He's not, like, a super consistent counterpuncher where it's going to take Stipe a lot of, like, craft and proactive defense to, like, get him uh, to, like, keep himself safe, if that makes sense. So the bull rushing, in a sense, it did work for uh, Ngannou, where he was able to, um, like, for instance, get Stipe to the fence pretty consistently in the first round. He wasn't really, like, in... Like, Stipe fought it pretty carefully and conservatively in the first round, where he was trying to just draw out Ngannou's offense and uh, not get hit. And it worked to an extent, but I also think in the rematch it's going to be a little bit tougher for a number of reasons. Uh, If Ngannou decides to bull rush, I think Stipe's a little bit worse off athletically than he used to be. Uh, he's a little bit less um, capable defensively, where, for instance, like, the DC fights are, aren't really that comparable because DC's way quicker of a puncher. Uh, he's a lot more of a clinch threat, where DC was able to, like, get into the clinch and punch out of there and turn that into combinations, especially in the third fight. But it's also something to note that, like, if Ngannou decides to bore rush and doesn't just, 
throw these huge wide-arm swings, decides to go a little bit shorter. It might actually catch Deepa a little bit unaware. Uh, if Ngannou could do something with the jab that's a little bit more granular, it would be a bit troubling for Stipe, just because DC had a lot of success with the jab in their fights, uh, just building off it a little bit more uh, consistently than Ngannou tends to. It's just that Ngannou kind of relies on guys being so vulnerable on the counter just mm -hmm. due to like the presence that he has, where Ngannou is like, able to just be, always be the one pressuring and always be the one drawing guys out to get themselves away from him. So... It's it's tough. I think if Stipe does the same thing that he did in the first fight, it's probably going to work. It's just that he doesn't have the margin to do it with you know the the kind of hits that he took the first time. So I don't know. Maybe it's a cop out answer. It's just it looks exactly like the first fight to me, just with a worse Stipe. I don't think Ngannou has really changed that much. Let's address the narrative of because people seem to be picking Ngannou and. I, I mean, it's a sadness hedge. It's entirely a sadness hedge. They're saying because Stipe could be shot, his chin could be gone, his durability could be gone. What What is the evidence for that? It's like, yes, logically, he's been through the ringer and been hit hard in a lot of fights, but he hasn't been rocked since he got knocked out by DC, has he? Um, he, he made it through those subsequent two fights without getting hurt. Um, Stipe has a weird chin where it seems like if he sees it coming, it is impossible to hurt him. Um, like, even when he got rattled <laughs> against Ngannou, like, he was looking at him, uh, and he got hit by it, and he's like, ow, and then just kept going, and it was fine. Uh, he's got a really weird chin, man. I, I think it's one of the best in the sport ever, the kind of shots he's tanked. Um, but, yeah, just assuming that his chin is going to be gone or worse, that that doesn't work out that often. Um I've done it a bunch of times, and it doesn't really seem like there's any rhyme or reason to when or how chins deteriorate. So, um, and even when you think they are deteriorated, deteriorated in the next fight, sometimes they'll just be totally fine. It happens too often for me to be confident about these types of things, and that's not that's not analysis. Um, it's just you have to you know you can say yes, this is a possibility that that could be the thing, but that's not a way to pick a fight. You can't do that. So. I'm not doing that. I think it's pretty much the same fight as it was before. Um, Nganu could could kick more, I guess. But Stipe is pretty good at crowding people when they do that. And Nganu is pretty reckless on the back foot. Slash almost has nothing on the back foot. And that would really open up the takedown. So I think Stipe knows exactly what he needs to do to win. And Nganu, I was watching the fight. And I just kept saying, I mean, honestly, if Ngannou just kind of chilled out a little bit, he would give himself way more opportunities to win because he would still get wrestled. Um, and a lot of the same stuff would happen, but he would just have more energy to try to hit him more. He was basically all out of steam on his punches by the end of the third round. Uh, he barely, in the fifth round, he didn't have the energy to do anything. Um, he was literally just standing there. It was He was so tired. So I think just being a little less tired could be, <laughs> could be good for him because it didn't seem like Stipe could finish him. Uh, so he just needed to stick around for longer and give himself more chances to win, which is a very heavyweight uh, type of game planning. But the more I watch heavyweight, the more I try to understand heavyweight, the more I realize that that is viable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of Lewis-y. Uh, but yeah. I think I, I almost feel like the opposite, where, like, I think that's a, a good conclusion to make, but also that, like, Ngani chilling out kind of gives him less opportunities to get Stipe in trouble because I think Stipe is best when he's like in control of the action he's not the best in terms of like reactive defense but when he's able to draw guys out uh, with his jab and with in Ngannou's case he was more kicky against Ngannou than I remember him being otherwise uh, I think that's when Stipe tends to stay safest which is why he was he's like a natural pressure fighter right like he's going to be able to like push guys back get them flapping against the fence and beat the shit out of them that's when that happens where the guys like DC who could just keep him reacting punching really fast uh, Stipe is a decent counterpuncher, especially for heavyweight. He's like the best one that's been in the UFC. But it's still a little bit tougher for him, which is why I think Ngannou round one was a little bit risky for him. Uh, but the issue, of course, is that the reactive takedown is pretty much always in play, which means that Ngannou has a couple options. He could get better at takedown defense, which if he could do that, he's probably already done it, so it's like it's tough to say. But he, it also hasn't been tested, so it's not something to like assume. Or he could just try to use his shot selection to keep Stipe off the takedown, which is, of course, the uppercut. The issue is that he tried that in the first fight, and it didn't really work, 
where Stipe could just like get his head offline before shooting the takedown, or just like I think there was just one point where he threw an uppercut and it got trapped against his body as Stipe shot, so it like turned into like a half underhook, but not really, and then Stipe just took him down through it. So I'm not sure how much of a route that is unless it lands perfectly. That's just kind of the issue with Ngannou's game in general against guys who aren't super prone to throwing themselves into bad positions is that it takes him like either scaring them off activity or just killing them outright to like find any success down the stretch. He needs an early moment to manufacture uh, further moments and he doesn't have like a consistent way to create that early moment. So I don't know. Like if, if Ngannou were to win this fight, I feel like it comes just as often from like an early bum rush that looks completely stupid than it is from, like, anything really set up and smart. So, I feel like I flirted with picking Ngannou here just because I don't really trust Stipe physically, and if I were to sadness hedge on anything in terms of physical attributes, against Ngannou is probably a good bet. But also, like, watching the first fight, I'm not sure how much Stipe is going to be in danger against the current Ngannou, where if, like, the thing with Ngannou after the Stipe fight and after the Lewis fight uh, with that win streak is that he's been more patient, and that's not necessarily true, especially looking at the Rosenstrike fight, but it's also a thing where, like, the more patient he is, I think Miocic is going to have a lot more success being, uh, being the guy leading the dance, and I think it's just, um, Ngannou's kind of a head case. And we've seen that before, like, right after the Stipe fight with Lewis, where Lewis bonked him once, and Ngannou was like, okay, I don't want to go near this guy ever, so I'm just going to stay on, on the outside. And I think Ngannou might trick himself into thinking he has outside tools when he kind of doesn't. Uh, he has, like, the kicking game he did against JDS, but it's less of a game and more like one kick. Uh, so that's not really a thing either. But if Ngannou's, like, even slightly that same person, where going against Stipe again is like, I should just be as conservative as possible... I think that's going to be a problem for him, and I think Stipe might be the guy to take him out again for it. Mm -hmm. One one little tiny note, not really that significant, that I noticed in a couple of Stipe fights is he has a really nice uh, lead leg snap kick to the body. Um, it's very, very pokey, but it's, it's <laughs> nice when people try to walk him down. He's kind of snaps it in there to the body, and uh, it's a good uh, attritional tool and good range uh, keeping tool. He has a lot of, like, you can tell that Stipe has had a game built for him in the gym of being an outfighter. And then he uh, fights get tough, and he's like, "Screw that!" <laughs> and he has his own way that he wants to win, and I really appreciate that about him. That his win this fight mode is totally different than what his coaches want him to be. Uh, which I, you know, this is uh, another comparison that doesn't really give full credit to the other person. Kind of makes them seem worse, but similar to Cheeto Vera, where he tries oh, to be this outfighter, one. and it doesn't really work out that often. He's like, "Screw it." And he goes full Swarmer, Swarmer, and that's how he wins most of the time. Uh, did not go full Swarmer against Aldo because he was getting countered a lot, but uh, just a similar concept. So, yeah, that fight is, uh, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to be tense the whole time because I, th I think Ngannou will conserve himself a little bit better and uh, not try to freak out and finish him every time he has an opportunity to, to hit him. Uh, I mean, he, he couldn't have been more energy and efficient in the first fight, so I think it's 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 pretty hard not to improve on that. Um, but I think I still I still favor Stipe for sure. Uh, we're gonna talk a lot more about it tonight. Uh, the co-main event is former welterweight champion Tyron Woodley looking to not lose four in a row here. Um, instead of talking about the obvious narrative of Woodley backing himself up to the cage and Luke being really good at hurting people and putting them away on the cage. Uh, let's talk about Woodley in the Covington fight, because he actually did things a little differently in that fight, don't you think? Yeah, he did. It's just that it always seemed really unnatural for him. Yeah. Um, it's like, he did. Uh, I think he tried to play the right hand off the uppercut. He threw the right hand to the body a couple times, which is smart against someone with a high guard like uh, Vicente Luque. But also, it was like one of those rare things where you could really see Woodley trying to win a fight harder than he was in the past because it was Covington, and this is a blood feud, and I'm really mad at this dude. And then he got sunk in the clincher anyway. Uh, I don't really think Vicente Luque is much of a clincher, but it's like, it, it's, I'm not sure anyone could lose to Woodley in the clinch at this point, so that's something. And honestly, it's also a thing where Covington being a southpaw probably gave Woodley more opportunities, even if uh, he's not the kind of southpaw that tends to lose to Woodley because he doesn't actually want to be in the open, he wants to close guys down. 
So I don't know. I mean, we against uh, Usman and Burns, I think we saw the limits of Woodley against an orthodox opponent who's like defensively somewhat responsible or can at least like dictate the exchanges from the edge of his punching range. So it's tough to say. I mean, I think that the issue here for Luke is that both of his steps up have been fights where if he wins, it doesn't actually mean that much for him. Like, if you look at Wonderboy, it's easy to say now that, like, if he'd beaten Wonderboy, it would have been a big deal. But at that point, Wonderboy was off the Pettis loss, and it was, they were at evens. Mm. So if Wonderboy had lost, we're at a point where Luke is like, okay, uh, you won the fight, you're in the top ten, but it's also Wonderboy who's, like, lost every fight, uh, except for Masvidal in the past couple of years. And with Woodley, he's in the same place, right? Like, if anything, it's worse, because Woodley's looked worse than uh, Wonderboy has, where... If Woodley wins, Luke is pretty much forever banished from the top 15. And if Luke wins, he's like just barely in the top 15. So, I mean, I'm hoping Luke puts on a show. Uh, this is the kind of opponent where a lot of guys should be. But it's kind of tricky to say if Woodley shows up looking good. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to think too hard about it just because uh, I think expecting things from Woodley at this point is, yeah. first of all, he's shown us not to. That we shouldn't, uh, <laughs> you know, over and over again. Also, he, he's 38 at this point. He's been get, getting cracked a decent amount. Um, he, he's getting, apparently. Yeah, he's getting getting physically weaker. I just don't think it's gonna be the time that he turns it around, and he's gonna need to turn it around, I think, to uh, to beat Luke. So, should yeah, be another good. interesting thing. Um, Luke is a training partner of Gilbert Burns. Right. At um, Team Evil slash 365 or whatever. Uh, and they have a lot of the same tools where, well, not a lot of them, but a couple of them that uh, the leg kicking, the left hook is a big one that Luke is probably better at, uh, where Luke can probably close distance behind it and stay safe with it uh, because, you know, Woodley kind of needs guys to, like, square up and walk into him to land the right hand most of the time. He's really, really picky with the right hand. So uh, if Luke can, like, close distance behind it and work into combinations, after, like, a layer, Woodley's probably pretty much exposed. So it's going to be tricky for him. I think Woodley's going to need to, like, land something really big. There was a point where I think Woodley might be able to, like, throw the right hand and work through, like, the, the high guard and, like, blitzes. I don't think he's that guy anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And Luke a hurts people so bad. And it's just, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Not going to go. Not going to go well, I don't think. But not worth really thinking too hard about that one. All right, here's another one that makes me hesitant to even analyze because there is a... I don't know if you would call it Occam's Razor, but there's a very simple way to look at this fight. Uh, Sean O'Malley versus Thomas Almeida. Uh, O'Malley obviously coming back off the Cheeto Vera loss, which you want to call it whatever. You call it an injury. You call it his... He got kicked. Um, <laughs> he got kicked and beat up in guard. Uh, Almeida... Uh, makes me sad. Because I really like him. He's coming off three losses in a row. Uh, Jimmy Rivera fight, which was awesome. Um, yep. Rob Font did him. Not as awesome. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was a fun fight. I like that fight. It was fun for you. And then uh, he <laughs> seemed to have changed his approach a bit versus Jonathan Martinez. Like, tried to be more defensively responsible, more more high guardy. Um, but Martinez is a very good striker, which is why well, it sucks that he just lost his last fight. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, is, is Almeida salvageable? Because I really think that, you know, if he doesn't just die the first time he gets punched hard in the face, he could definitely deal with O'Malley. Yeah, I think O'Malley is kind of... So one thing about Almeida is that in a lot of his previous fights, we haven't really... So the most important thing about Almeida probably is that the Martinez fight was his first in like the last two or three years, which means that it's probably disproportionately significant in how we should view him. So... You know, the Almeida from the Font fight and the Rivera fight probably don't exist anymore, which is unfortunate because I like them both a lot. I think the Font fight was a lot more competitive uh, than people think because early in the fight, Font really had to... Because Font's thing is, like, uh, his jab is, like, super sticky and hard early in the fight. So he tries to jab, and he tried to jab Almeida really hard and, like, punch through him. And Almeida would just counter it super consistently through the first round. Uh, he'd, like, cross-counter it and work through it in combination. He'd kick the leg to deal with it. And then Font started, like, jabbing a little bit more non-committally, using it as, like, a, a way to track his head for the right hand. And then the fight just turned into a beatdown after that uh, that first knockdown. But Almeida looked good early. And I think that's one thing with Almeida is that he's kind of typecast as a slow starter, which he is. But he's not always, like, useless in the first round. I think a parallel might be, like, finally Cheeto Vera. Uh, but the difference, of course, is that Cheeto is, like, 
just inhumanly durable, and Almeida isn't. So Cheeto can just like eat punishment for a round, figure out what he wants to do, and then do it and start swarming. Where Almeida can take punishment for a round and then be dead two minutes did, in. Did O'Malley do anything to Cheeto? Uh, I think there were a couple body kicks. Um, mm. But and then he got hurt to he like rolled his ankle in the middle of the round. Uh, he hit him a couple times in combination after he was hurt, but you could tell that that wasn't really the. Um, that wasn't really going to do anything. And honestly, the issue with the O'Malley-Cheeto fight, which, like, treating it as, like, an anomaly, is that O'Malley wasn't fighting the fight that you'd need to beat Cheeto as O'Malley, which means that, like, it was clearly going to go out of round one the way O'Malley was fighting. He wasn't able to find the opportunities that he needed to kill O'Malley, to kill Cheeto in a round. And after a round, O'Malley's always been a decent liability. We saw that in the um, Terry on Ware fight, I believe, where Ware just kind of mugged him after a round, and then O'Malley needed, like, a second win to beat him. Uh, which doesn't really happen against someone as body attacky as Cheeto, and for that matter, Thomas Almeida. So yeah, I do agree. Uh, Almeida can win the fight if he gets out of the first round. It's just, again, it's, it's the Occam's razor thing. It's that O'Malley is a really quick starter, uh, someone who's fairly likely to avoid Almeida's like best boxing range, which is in the pocket. Uh, Almeida's pocket defense isn't the best, but he's pretty solid at like weaving into the left hook, for instance. Uh, he's... Um, He's grown more high guardy, as you mentioned, but also O'Malley's really good at carving that up. Uh, he can, like, change the path of his right hand. He's just, I think O'Malley is, like, he's tricky for a lot of guys, especially because he's athletic and a decent puncher. And o Almeida's, like, the kind to fall into that. It's just that he also might have frailer legs than Almeida's head might be. Mm. So I don't know. Like, if Almeida starts kicking early, uh, it might be interesting. But... This is one where I have to say O'Malley probably finds him. Yeah, seems like a, a rocky, a, a rocky fight to approach if if you're Oma, uh, yeah. uh, Almeida rather. But you know, just inherently, O'Malley takes the back foot, which is a very tough thing to do in MMA. Um, you know, decent straight counter puncher, but like he looked like the Wineland KO. Wineland just walked at him with his hands down, which is what Wineland does, but his reaction time isn't there because he's old now. Um, so that obviously didn't check out uh, too well. But I don't know. It's just like I think O'Malley's game isn't that deep, although he has some, some cool stuff that he does. Um, and he's a great athlete. And I, I don't know. It's just uh, it, it's hard not to hate him because of his personality. Um, as a fighter, I really don't mind him that much. I don't think he's that that good, but I don't. I, I like the stuff that he does. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely want Almeida to kill him. <laughs> That's because I've always liked Almeida, and yeah, he he really goes after the body, especially when he gets people against the cage, which which could happen here. Um, good good low kicker, good straight kicker, um, good round kicker. I, I don't know. I think he could uh, he could get some stuff done here, but definitely gonna be at a speed disadvantage early on, which is gonna be rough. And I think he just needs to get to work attritionally to make sure that he can get it into his kind of fight as soon as possible. But I'm sure O'Malley is going to be looking to not get kicked in the leg. Uh, so he's either going to be annoying with distance or maybe he'll try to get some straight counters through uh, when O'Malley kicks. Because I'm sure, I mean, they're, they're, it starts with the Almeida and the O'Malley. It's really screwing me up. But uh, I'm sure Almeida is <laughs> going to be going after his leg early on. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I don't feel good predicting that one at all yeah but should be interesting i mean i'm hoping almeida has a good showing at least just because um him going on like a what four loss streak now that'd be he's too good for that in a sense it's just that like this is a really rough matchup that they've clearly done for the sake of building o'malley back up and nothing makes me happier than when a fighter fails that because like you know if the ufc is bothering to build you back up i probably don't like you so <laughs> Uh, yeah, Amanda's lost to a couple guys that I really like. Um, he lost to Garbrandt, which is bad and makes me want to root against him. But uh, Rivera and Font are guys that I want to look good, and that win is uh, a pretty decent one for both. So, I mean, hopefully Almeida uh, is able to, you know, keep the straight counters off him, kick him the leg a bunch, and take over in the second. But uh, it it's tough. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it anymore. It's making me sad. I don't want to think about Almeida on the four. A four fight skid. He was a, a really, really bright prospect, and he's he's got great tools. He's just not for his style. He's not durable enough to, to do that style uh, at a high level. It seems like, but this could this could be winnable. Uh, skipping over Robertson versus Maverick because I've only seen one Maverick fight and I don't really know 
what else she does besides counter punch kicks and uh, who who'd she fight in her first fight? She fought uh Jojoa and it was just no. There's not a lot to draw from it. Um and Jillian Robertson likes to shoot singles and try to hit crackdown finishes and grapple and uh, Miranda seems big and strong, so that might not work, but uh, that, that's all I have to say about that one. So uh, I, what I'm happy about on the main card is that uh, they're giving Kama Worthy somebody who is willing to throw in the pocket with him that isn't like a better athlete and hits harder, uh, so that should be a fun fight for him where he can kind of do the stuff he wants to do. Yeah, I mean, for a second when Ahmed Azaitar got cut, I was like, is this what Kama Worthy died for? Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I guess in that sense, I'm glad Ahmed Azaitar is back so he can make that look less bad. But, yeah, Kama Worthy, he, I really liked some of his early performances. Uh, he beat, uh, who was it, Luis Pena pretty impressively, where he got wrestled but also fought a decent anti-wrestling game. Uh, where he could uh, stay away from the fence and start counterpunching, punching the body. So he's a decently well put together fighter. And Jamie Malarkey, uh, I think he got beaten up by um, Brad Riddell, which isn't really that much of an issue, but it does show that he's like vulnerable to getting hit hard in the pocket. Um, I don't know. I mean, Kamba Worthy is he's generally solid, and I'd like to see him do well because he seems like a nice dude who's aware of like his standing in the division. He's kind of old for the. Uh, for a division like lightweight, and he just understands that like his his uh, niche is as an action fighter who's gonna do cool stuff, and I want to see him keep doing cool stuff. Yep, I agree. Uh, I talked to one of his training partners who I'm, who I'm friends with, and he says that like, and I've seen training footage too, so I can confirm this that Kamalworthy is actually pretty slick. Uh, he's got some cool stuff. He's a good striker, good counterfighter, uh, has a lot of good knees and, and things like that. But he he wants his career to just he wants to maximize it. Um, and just make sure that you know, he gets as most as much out of each fight as possible with regard to you know rewards and attention and pay because he's a, he's getting into the UFC pretty late in his career so he just wants to throw in the pocket uh, which obviously it's going to go the way that it goes um, so you know <laughs> it is what it is uh, but I'm I'm glad he gets a little showcase there because he's a good guy and he has a, a gym out in Pittsburgh uh, prelims Knight versus Menafield just got canceled. So no need to discuss. Uh, Was there Bub- ever a need to discuss? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Bubakar uh, Nurmagomedov, Khabib's cousin slash brother, whatever you want to call it. He's fighting a guy. Do you know that guy? Uh, I think that guy fought Alan Joban and got beat up, so I'm not really that yeah, sure. That's it. But <laughs> actually, it might be a different Jared. No, I think it's that Jared. Okay. Do you, do you know uh, any of these guys for the rest of the card besides uh, Azatar? Uh, I've seen Modestus. Uh, I think he was the one who got like the, the elbow KO where the guy fell out of the cage. Um, Michal is a decent light heavyweight sometimes, and he's just like really small and wrestleable. So he got like thrown around by Crute in like three seconds. Oh, but he is does, this the like... guy that uh, body punched OSP and then gassed himself out by doing it? <laughs> Yeah, he body beat the crap out of OSP, pretty much knocked him out, and then uh, he got Von Flute. Uh, he does some decent stuff generally. He's like a he's a counterpuncher sometimes. He he uh, killed John Volante with a left hook to the body, but um, you know probably too small to really go anywhere. We've already seen that. Uh, Abu Azaitar had that absolutely dreadful fight in Hamburg, and um, that I don't remember who he fought. I think it was Vitor Miranda. Uh, it was gross. It was the the worst. And uh, Marc Andre Berrio. Uh, I've seen his name before. I don't remember anything that he does. So there's that. Let's take a look, actually. I don't want to be lazy for this one, do I? <laughs> I'm always so hardworking. If you've made it this far, you don't business. care, really, what we're saying at this point. You're, you're just in. You're in for the ride. Uh, yeah, so he beat Oscar Pejota, and then it got turn- overturned by- because of steroids. So he's probably getting cut if he loses this one. Um, lost to Andrew Sanchez, Jocko, and the Iron Turtle. So, I don't know. Uh, probably should win, I guess, since uh, the guy he's fighting isn't very good. But uh, I, don't, I don't know if he's any good. This is a, a weird card. It, it's really, it's like regional tier until you get to a comma worthy. It used to have Volkanovski versus Ortega on it. I'm so glad we recorded so late because, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it would have taken a lot more time to talk about that one, but then it wouldn't have paid off, so we didn't get bamboozled into breaking it down like Ryan did on Heavy Hands. Uh, make sure to li- listen to Heavy Hands this week, and also last week, because uh, the fight site is well represented. Yeah, just listen to it consistently. They're cool. We like them. 
But yeah, otherwise, check out uh, Patreon for the resume review episode. You can also... I don't know. What else can you do? Check out the panel that's coming out. Uh, <laughs> it's probably also today. It's probably already out. And what else? What else is there? Uh, subscribe to the Patreon if you haven't for the... Um for the fundraising thing oh, yeah. and for all the stuff that we have there already uh, check out the discord and if you pay like two more dollars from the baseline then you get into our discord and stuff uh, I don't know like we've done all the plugs already so I'm not really sure but it's it's worth replugging we'll always plug get your plugs in alright well that's it next week we will recap this card and is the next card right is it is it the next week afterward it says april 10th i feel like that means yeah, it's like two weeks from now oh damn well maybe we'll try to get ryan back and, and do that patreon question again and we'll find out something else fun to talk about yeah that'll probably be more of an abstract episode which is good because like it's better than talking about a card like this um but what is the next card tilvatory abc baby that's also the first one with the venom fight kits i think oh nice so, nice new look and then we have Robert Whitaker, so that's exciting. Yeah, I'm excited for that. So we'll we'll figure something out, but that's it for now. Uh, yeah, check us out on Patreon, YouTube. I think we're starting a second YouTube channel because the algorithm hates us. And uh, yeah, that's that's it. I'm gonna end the recording now.